Welcome to the Blank Bus Podcast, a weekly conversation on the biggest stories in politics from two friends who come from opposite sides of the aisle. I'm Erin McCall, founder of Blank Buzz, a political marketing firm that seeks to empower campaigns and politicians by connecting them to their constituents through innovative marketing strategy. For more information, please visit blankbuzz.com. Now let's get into the show. All right, the recording has started. So, hello, citizens of Flanders. It is I, (laughs) Aaron McHale, co-host of this podcast. I'm joined as usual by Wesley Walsh, who is the other co-host of this podcast. Hello, and I would like to um, uh, extend a greeting to all non-citizens of planet Earth who uh, (laughs) have come from other planets and may be listening to this podcast. My (laughs) co-host may not care about you, but I do. I don't. Um, Okay, so um, there's no, by the way, all because like my grandma's really into these like alien shows and whatnot it's all fake there's no actual evidence because people are like oh the cia um you know knows all this stuff with area 51 and whatever and has all these secret files it's not true yeah it's um, all bullshit. people yeah it is so i don't believe in extraterrestrial life um because there's no evidence for it anyway um I'm, I'm so open to it conceptually. <laughs> I, I'm very doubtful that it has visited Earth. Um, also, ancient alien shows particularly piss me off um, because I spent a lot of my time studying ancient cultures and there weren't aliens then. Go talk to my grandma. Um, it's not a mystery how they built the pyramids. They did it with <laughs> slaves and math, both of which they had in Egypt. Uh, although actually, even the slaves issue is a little more complicated. Okay, it's hard anyway. to define. Anyway, the institutions um, of eh. <laughs> ancient Egypt in that way, and really, I, I should to... say enslaved people. Wesley, let's what? we have to rein it in. Yes. Yes. Okay. Sorry, Wesley has this really bad habit of like going on a tangent all the time. So I, I just needed to needed to nip this in the bud before it takes over. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe this is our pivot. <laughs> you like over prepared. That's your problem. Uh, not so really. it, mm, you just get over anxious. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So I feel like there's a lot going on this week. Also, like I don't even know where to begin. Um, well, let's start with it's May 9th. And that means it's a very important person's birthday. John Brown hacked oh uh, hacked enslavers to death with a broadsword. Hero. Great man. It's his birthday. Shout out. Hope you're hope you're doing well where you are, bud. Alrighty. Um, I have no idea who that is. So John Brown? No. Like the Like what a more could you have a more generic name than that, by the way? Okay. John Brown before the Civil War lived in Kansas, led a small uh revolution of enslaved people to uh take out their uh to to free 
uh, slavers in Kansas. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. So, all right. We've spent like six and a half minutes talking about nothing. So, now that we've talked about May 9th, I was going to say, why don't we talk about the state of quarantine right now? Because it is May 9th. We're about seven weeks or eight weeks into quarantine for most of us. And a lot of states are beginning to reopen. I believe about half or a little more than half of states have taken some measure towards reopening. Um, I was talking to my mom today who lives in Ohio and she was telling me that they're planning to reopen restaurants and bars soon, but they're going to, um, essentially be doing a lot of outdoor seating so that you're not recycling the air between people. I that in, uh, Ohio, they're going to be reopening stuff just because I feel like here in New York, we're like, we're like eons away from that. So I'm like, I can't wait to like, cause I'm already salivating at the thought of going to these. I have a few restaurants in Cleveland every time I go back that like I have to go to and that like, um, this is particularly for boneless wings. Like I just, it's the only meat product I eat. Like I can't find anything like it here. I don't know why that is, but um, maybe it's just more of a Midwestern food, but I'm like salivating thinking about going to those places. And um, I don't know, like, I, I mean, we'll see what happens, I guess. It'll probably take a few days before we really know. Cause a lot of people are like, oh, they're reopening too soon. And um things are going to, you know, the dial is going to go back the other way and we're going to start to see this huge rise again in the number of cases. Um, And then there's other people who are like, this is getting ridiculous. Like, we have to choose, like, it's getting to a point also where it's like, it's not even just about avoiding, like, people dying, but, like, also it's a question of like people are going to be starving (laughs) if they can't work in a lot of situations. So it's like, okay, we have like, they have to like figure out the balance of like, are we going to let people die of the virus or are we going to let people starve from like not having money? So, um, well, there's, there's a third option, which is to give people money. Well, yeah, but that's, I feel like that's not going to happen. Well, yeah, we tried, but congress right now to uh to give every i believe it's every american i don't know all the fine print but every american two thousand dollars a month until the end of the pandemic basically which yeah there, like, there are it ranges the the suggestions range from 500 a month to 2000 a month uh any of which would be helpful the problem is that there's uh there's a republican congress so right well, and I also question, like, how, how are we going to actually have that much money? Because at a certain point, I feel like they'd have to raise taxes just because that's a, if you're talking about every person like, OK, so where's that money coming from? It's, if we if they keep doing rounds of stimulus or recovery or whatever you want to call it, at some point, they're probably going to have to raise taxes, especially because the revenue right now is not looking good. So. Right. This is this is a once in a century paying ourselves back with our own money. This is a once in a century disruption. Um, And yes, it's typical to run deficits during such disruptions. Uh, The problem is that we were doing definite we were doing um, expansionary policy 
expansionary fiscal policy, uh, lowering taxes in 2018 when the economy was booming, when it would have been really nice to have that revenue to use to keep the economy alive during this crisis. Uh, so uh, it's important to remember that this is the 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 whole question of uh, whether we would have to raise taxes eventually uh, is only a question because we cut taxes prematurely uh, with no real benefit uh, besides that it was the expected sexy. payout for electing President Trump. Well, that's like it's just it's a sexy thing to do, like you know. Right. It's like politics speak, like, I'm going to drop my panties, I'm going to lower taxes, you know, it's it's the same thing, like, right. I'm into it, so, but, well, it's, it's going to backfire now, but there's no way to, like, go back and undo that, you know, so. Right, so we <laughs> are. The revenue just isn't there, so. Well, we have the, we have the, it's necessary for us to uh spend what can be spent during this crisis. And I don't think that a, a basic income of, say, $1,000 a month uh, is out of reach um, for our federal government. Uh, that, you know, that revenue, that that would not destroy our credit, especially during this downturn where interest rates are nothing and all of that. Um, and it would uh, also have a, uh, you know, it would offset in a, a crisis which would further, which if unabated would further uh, damage our revenue for years to come. Yeah. Because uh, if a bunch of businesses fail and if we can't pull out of this nosedive, Right. Uh, well, that's like it's a cost benefit. I feel like it. there is a lot of cost benefit analysis that has to go because part of it is like who gets the money because they also just passed. Well, not just, but like maybe a week ago because they ran out of money in the small business um, part of the relief package. And then they passed another four hundred billion dollars towards it. But then I think also that has pretty much run dry at this point. So like, I just don't know. I don't know if there's anything they're going to be able to do where it's like enough, you know, it's almost like everyone's going to be like, I, I think no matter what, it's still going to feel like this isn't really enough to offset right. the, yeah. But so for people who are I currently mean, it's funny how, suffering, the, the relief will help. I mean, it definitely will, <laughs> but um, I mean, it would help me personally, but it's um it's just like looking at it politically i feel like i don't i don't know what incentive there really is at this point for the republican senate to be like we are gonna like do this thing that we should do and help people because they feel like they've kind of done their little like right they, they don't they have it's, right. it's true that the they don't have an incentive to help people. they don't they uh, don't though because, because that's like that's part of the game, you know. It's that's not just part of their funny. brand. No. So, so I just am like, what, what, and they have no incentive to do it at this point. And I feel like they might have to raise taxes on the rich to fund a lot of these different things if we're going to keep pumping money 
relief money into different vessels for, you know, two or three more months, maybe longer. And, you know, so it's like, it's just going to be, it's going to be unpopular for them (laughs) at a certain point. So, but yeah, I mean, it's funny. I feel like how short term, how your memory can be so short term with like, because I remember everyone was so excited about the $1,200. And I mean, this happened, what, a month ago um, that we were getting these checks. Yeah, it was like a little less than a month ago. Um, and I feel like that was like a year ago at this point. <laughs> like, right. For a lot right? of people financially, it basically was. Yeah. Because, you know, $1,200 covered their rent and a couple meals. So I'm just saying uh, that they're, the solution they're looking at is like, well, if we reopen, then people can generate their own money through working and things like that. And then we don't have to, you know, it's like they can kind of take their hands off and just let it play out. Obviously the. Right. But um, the downside is that. Right. (laughs) Yeah. And also that even if you reopen, uh, unless you, for example, do the things that um, President Trump did with the meatpacking industry to uh, protect uh, companies from liability, if they force their employees to come back. Uh, even if they reopen, you're going to see, I think, a huge number of people refusing to go back into these public spaces. Oh, yeah. Um, Yeah. Because social social distancing, um, in a lot of cases, happening uh, even when the uh, governors are in order. It's becoming like a social norm now. It's like it's not even... You know, it's like infiltrated. I could, um, I I need to like have a sociology textbook by me because I know I could like map out like this is like it goes from like it goes from this crazy rule that nobody like understands to now people are just doing it on it's like self policing, like people are just doing it on their own. Like nobody has to tell you to stay six feet away from people or to wear a mask in most public situations or to not go to like a crowded place like people just won't do it right so well but part of the so i and i did read a statistic that 62 because i was talking about restaurants reopening now i'm excited to go to restaurants i'm sorry but i i have no fear as far as that goes um i do think it's important i do think people are just getting a little it's like i feel like at the beginning people were like overly um they weren't cautious enough and now they're almost too cautious because a lot of, I I think it's important to like remember the facts, which is because a lot of people are getting scared. Like they don't want to bring groceries into their house without wiping them down. They don't want to go out without gloves on. They don't want to, um, you know, they're scared to get like takeout and things like that. But you know, like it, it isn't transmitted through food. It's not food borne. Um, High temperatures uh, kill the virus. I imagine in a kitchen where it's hot and things are being put through extreme temperatures that, you know, a lot of that fear, you know, doesn't even matter. Um, And, you know, and I've, I've, I've seen several different, because I looked up at different points, like from doctors and epidemiologists, um, like things about like, you know, should you bring your groceries in, whatever. And like, yes, the virus, basically what they know right now is it can live on surfaces. It depends on the surface. Some of it, it can live for like 
a day or even two or three days, which sounds scary, except that they don't actually know. And at this point, they don't have reason to believe that it transmits from the surface to you and then infects you, if that makes sense. Like just because it can live on a surface doesn't mean it can like hop off of the surface and like into your nose, you know? So maybe don't lick surfaces. Exactly. Yeah. So basically like if you're wearing a mask and you're not touching your face and you're, you know, sanitizing your hands after you go out, washing them, whatever, like you should be okay. You really don't need to do all these extra things. People have said like, there's no harm in it. I mean, there's no harm And if you want to wipe something down because it makes you feel better, like, you know, whatever. But I think some of it is a little over hysteria, like with the restaurants, because 62% of people have said that they would be uncomfortable eating at a restaurant, which is, oh, that's over half. So, um, and like, I get it. And I understand like the, you know, I think part of it's just, you know, we haven't, it's even like an exposure thing. Like we just haven't even been, we haven't actually seen like what does it mean to go to a restaurant in this kind of new world so I think people are just it's like unsure about what to even make of it but I think you have to remember like it's not going to be it's not going to be like it was like it's not you know they're going to have to be at like half capacity at at most um every you know the waiters are going to be wearing masks um I think people are going to get temperature checked from my understanding um for the most part in most places you know, it's the tables are going to be six feet apart. Like it's you're going to you're not going to be put into the, the line of fire. So, um, I mean, not that you have to go to a restaurant. I'm not like I don't think if you don't want to go like don't like I guess. But um, I do think some of it is interesting where it's and there's a quote that like fear is is like more contagious than anything. And I do think that that this is really showing that where I feel like it's almost just the fear that people have more so than like the reality. Cause like when you break down, like, okay, this is what it means to eat in a restaurant. Like it's, it really is a low risk situation when you actually look at it on paper. Well, any, any situation where you're coming into contact with a lot of people is, um, a risk. And the whole point of, all of this that we're doing is to uh, reduce the opportunities for the disease to transmit uh, on the margins. And um, so, yeah, I I would have to look at, um, we we need, we, we will need to move forward at some point um hopefully the uh considering that uh, at least in new york uh the curve is very flat so hopefully yeah. um in new york within this month we'll be able to move forward with some relaxation where we move to you can go out as long as you're wearing a mask and stay six feet apart um maybe wearing gloves uh uh, and yeah once that occurs and once there are clear guidelines for safety in places like restaurants and those places are uh deemed safe to be opened um then yeah as long as you're taking precautions you shouldn't be afraid uh to go out and 
live your life within reason. Yeah. Um, for now, we uh, need to make sure that any reopening happens safely. So um, let me ask you on that question of would you be comfortable eating in a restaurant? Like, where do you stand on that? Uh, I would say, well, we went to a restaurant um, we did. about a week before shelter in place started. Uh, and they it had. Was, didn't you think it was fine? I thought it was totally yeah, fine. Yeah, they, they were doing a good enough job keeping people apart from each other. It was sort of. Uh, people were seated at, were at every feet. other table. Yeah. Tables were further apart. Um, I don't think at that point our waiters were wearing no, they uh, masks. No, so they probably the one thing in the new world, change, waiters but... will be wearing masks. Uh, I would say that in that kind of situation, I would be comfortable. But then there's also the question of can a, a lot of restaurants probably can't afford to function at half capacity especially in new york because right. of how small everything is and how expensive real estate is because yes. a lot of the, as you know a lot of these bars and restaurants are teeny tiny as far as square footage goes yeah so you know yeah it's like the, can they is it even worth it which i think will be interesting to see like how that actually plays out um and i think even like how worth it it is is almost almost dependent on that like i think because if we see that, like, I mean, a lot of places are not even going to reopen. There's a running list on, like, eater.com that I've been following where they're documenting all the different establishments that have said they're not going to reopen. Um, this isn't a restaurant, but that includes, like, the the UCB um, is not going to be reopening in New York. Actually, I was really upset about this. This is also not a restaurant, but um, Yoga Works, which is just, like, a yoga um studio they're based they're not based in new york but they're kind of all over the country in different cities they're not going to be reopening their studios in new york um like you know a bunch of things are just going to go under completely um so you know because like what if you know i think that's one of my fears is like what if they reopen but then like you know only like 20 percent of restaurants find it worth it here to operate at like you know half capacity or maybe even less some some states are doing 25 percent capacity to start right which and you know. yeah because a lot of this is just that the the half of the economic world is frozen whereas the financial half of the economic world is not so right. even though people are not utilizing services or buying products in the same way. Nevertheless, uh, taxes are still due, mortgages are like, still due, rent is still due, uh, payments on debts are still due. So all of these financial apparatus that um, are part of our normally functioning economy don't have any way to stop. Um, and I don't even know how we would stop them. Uh, although yeah. something like a mortgage freeze plus property tax freeze plus rent freeze uh, would be, might happen or might have, uh, have allayed some of this, but uh, it, didn't end up happening literally unless they just stopped everything because yeah it's, it's one of those things because a lot of people are like you know we shouldn't have to pay 
um, our credit cards or any debts right now. And I don't necessarily disagree because I'm like, yeah, it's super fucked up that like we're still having to pay our credit cards and all these things. But like the the reality is, though, like they have to pay their bills and, you know, they have to pay like the people who are uh, the big lenders and um, companies who are uh, giving credit. Um, and loans have to pay um, their bills. And a lot of that is like stocks and investments. And like, if those things don't have any funding, then there's like no stock market. And, you know, so it's like a domino effect. So um, they have to basically either like stop all of it or like just let it go, which they've let it go up until now. So, and I think that's part of, that's been part of the, I guess that would be the other solution because that's the hard part of, um this whole thing is like you you know the expenses are still not stopping and that's even why a lot of businesses are in trouble because they have to pay their loans and depending on the finances of the business a lot of businesses aren't even profitable um a lot of businesses are relying on um a co- like loans or like um some kind of um other alternative cash flow to stay alive um, you know, so there's all kinds of different scenarios where like, if you're not getting just like living paycheck to paycheck, sort of where it's like, if you're not getting that constant revenue, you have no way to like pay your bills and then you're going to go under. So it, the only thing, you know, the reverse, instead of like giving people a bunch of stimulus money or relief money is to basically just cut all their expenses. So then they don't have to pay anything. Um, but, you know, obviously that has a whole different, I don't know, that's never even really been done before. So I don't even know right. if you can predict, like, what are the consequences of that? Um, so it's a really sticky situation. The other thing I wanted to ask you about with this, well, and I kind of mentioned it a little bit, is because part of the concern with some of this reopening is that people will just flock to whatever place is open. Um, you know, so it's like that's why they've been kind of emphasizing doing things sort of on a regional basis and um, so that people aren't just flocking to, you know, one city or one state. Um, Because there was actually, um, the University of Maryland did some research on Georgia, which has kind of made themselves a test subject at this point, um, because they were, I think, the first state to completely reopen. And um, so after... So Georgia, since they reopened about a week ago, has had over 60,000 people visit their state from neighboring states. Um, and, of course, the biggest influx of, of people, guess what state they came from? New York? No. it's oh. It's like the state of cliches of... The other oh, Florida, right? There we go. Yeah. <laughs> like, come on. It's the other mm-hmm. Trump state. It's where he lives now. Um, it, from Florida, yes. So, and obviously the, the concern there is that um, the up. First of all, you've got uptick of people traveling. Second of all, you've then got a whole host of people who are going to be going back to another state and then potentially spreading the virus to that state. And, you know, then you've got basically yourself back to square one. And it seems like from 
this research, I mean, 60,000 people is, you know, that's a, it's not um, astronomical, but it's, it's definitely not small, I don't think. Um, and, you know, you're talking about 60,000 people, you know, what if, you know, 10% of those people get the virus and then are bringing it back to their states? Um, you know, think about how many cases and um, how much grief that that's going to cause then down the line. So what do you think about that concern? Because I was even talking about it. I was like, I can't wait to go back to Ohio. And like, right. yeah, as of right now, the plan is, I think as soon as they're kind of gearing up to reopen, I'm going crazy. So I can't, I'm like, I'm definitely going to go back because at least I'll be able to like go out and do something and not be looking at four walls in my apartment in my room without without windows like I've been doing for two months now mm -hmm. so what do you think about that as far as like the implications of travel and um you know people going to these places that are reopening um and sort of sort of participating in non-essential travel right. by, by that kind of having that kind of access somewhere else yeah I think it's definitely a danger. Um, I think it's definitely a consideration for why we would want to be more conservative about how we reopen. Um, that, you know, you start slow and then you want to be very sure that it's safe to reopen, even if you get uh, an influx of people. So you want to be, you want to make sure, you want to be far below your capacity in terms of hospital beds and stuff, uh, just because, yeah, the uh, the quarantine is hitting some people harder than others, and if those people have an avenue of escape, they're going to take it, and that's not necessarily, you know, they're not to blame for that. It's just that on that some people are for some people staying inside is more of a sacrifice than for others for example uh my living situation is a little more um long-term livable uh without going outside often than yours is uh and uh, i'm just yours generally, is more livable yeah and I'm just generally more, yeah. um, like, content, <laughs> well, yeah, I was going to say content to enjoy indoor activities. Um, <clears throat> that's just code for lazy. And no, that's, that's code for I play video games and I watch stuff on Netflix. And um, that my job is easier to work from is pretty easy to work from home well and, and you have more space you have outdoor space yeah because yeah for those of you well probably most people don't know exactly um because i definitely am probably in one of the toughest situations since i live in new york city um yeah. and i live in the sort of bushwick east williamsburg area of brooklyn and you know, I live in um, a small four-bedroom apartment, which sounds like an oxymoron, but, you know, it's not. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I, my bedroom um, in my apartment doesn't have windows. It has, like, um, it, it's essentially, like, it's the biggest bedroom of the four, but, like, 
the you know the sort of caveat is that you don't have an actual window you just have like frosted glass that looks out onto the windows so like you get some light but it's very dark in here most of the time mm-hmm. and you know I'm basically trapped like in bed all day <laughs> because yeah. you know I don't have like a ton of space either because you know even though it's the biggest bedroom it's not by any means huge um right. and yeah so you know and you and don't, I don't have, have any like outdoor space a desk and a chair no I a don't comfortable couch in your living room like no yeah because our common space is very small we we yeah. have like a, a few chairs like not even real chairs like just like almost like folding chair kind of chairs and like we have like a settee so it's not like a real couch it's like kind of like an ottoman I guess you would say it, it's not really real furniture and it's very instagrammable because there's a bunch of plants and <laughs> you know you know what I'm talking about like the yes. curtains and the big floor-to-ceiling windows it's very instagrammable it is but it's not like livable okay. it's like instagram versus reality kind of and yeah so there's no real like um common space that I can go and like hang out there's no outdoor space. We don't have like a yard. We don't have a balcony or anything like that. Um, you know, there's nothing. So like, I really have very limited options as far as um, like even getting out of my bedroom. So yeah, it's just, it's hard because I'm, you know, I'm stuck here. Um, like basically sitting in bed for pretty much the whole day doing right. something or other and because I have a nice because like part of the reason I picked like I have a furnished sublet and it has an amazing king size bed it's so comfortable but then it takes up pretty much like the entire room and because the, there's obviously some um like I have a little end table and I have um some uh like dressers and things like that to store my clothes in and I have, like, a little loft space that I sometimes hang out in. Um, but other than that, like, that's that's really the entire room. So um, I really don't, like, my bed is the most comfortable place because, yeah, I don't have a desk or there's not really room for that in here the way it's set up, which was my choice because, like, normally I don't really, like, work at a desk. Normally I'll, I'm more of, like, a coffee shop worker or something like that. Um, I, you know, I don't normally like want to necessarily spend a lot of time in my apartment. I mean, that's, that, that's right. New York. Like you don't come here to spend a lot of time in your apartment. So, you know, a lot of times that's the way it is. So, you know, I was prioritizing like comfort and sleep and, you know, over anything, but you know, it, it kind of has come back to bite me a little bit and, um, you know, it's, so it's really tough. And, um, you know, right now, because for a while it was like me and one other roommate, and then um, our roommate uh, who went to live with friends came back, and so now it's three of us. And then there's going to be somebody moving into the vacant room at the beginning of next month. So I feel like you know it's going to get really crowded. I think even that aspect of it, you know, it's like it's much different to live in a four-bedroom apartment when you're going out and about all the time and everybody has their own schedules and, you know, people are busy, people are doing things versus everybody's just sitting at home all day. Right. You know, so didn't mean to go on that whole tangent, but yeah, <laughs> I mean, it's, I, I think it's easy to be like, like, Oh, people are just being selfish or you're, uh, you know, you just kind of like 
labeling um, and assuming these different things. But if you really look at the circumstances, like, you know, people like people, it, it is suffering still to, you know, be trapped in a small space. And especially, you know, if you're not with your family or you're not, you know, if you're living with roommates, you know, it's a little, you know, it's like people you're living with for convenience. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's, it's tough. It's like, I, you know, put any of those, a lot of those people I feel like who are the most judgmental have like the most amount of freedom. <laughs> they have huge backyards, you know, they, you know, live in like 2000 square feet. Um, you know, they, they're not trapped. It's like, why don't you try being trapped in a New York city apartment? And a lot of those people haven't even been in quarantine as long as we have. And, you know, see how see how you feel <laughs> after mm-hmm. two months. You're probably going to be jumping out of your skin to get out of here. So, which is exactly how me and I think most other people are feeling at this point. So, it's... So, we need, we need a set of... We need a set of plans and a set of uh, sort of mores... Uh, which allow for uh, some of the people who are the hardest hit to um, seek an escape. That said, um, there are also a lot of people who are not poor people, who are not, uh, or who who are, I don't want to say poor, who are not... um, living in tiny spaces who are not uh living say in uh less than ideal social circumstances um there are a lot of people who are who are just kind of uh don't want to be in quarantine because they don't care yeah Uh, and those people can fuck off uh, but definitely there, there needs to be a policy which is, um, receptive to the fact that this, that this is more difficult for some people than it is for others. Um, and, you know, we need to, there's this whole really complex cost benefit analysis that I hope is going down where, the you know the the human cost is so high if we reopen wrong and we reopen too soon and we get another spike the human cost is also high if uh we continue if 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 the if quarantine uh, i think even there's i think all of the costs are too high because if you think about like I was talking actually to my mom earlier today about this because like think about because you know they've said like in New York State specifically I know that because they've said it's it's sort of like a dial is how they're thinking about it and um you know they're gonna sort of watch the dial and there's like 12 phases of reopening it's very complex here mm-hmm. um and you know they're gonna go like phase one phase two phase three then let's say we get to phase three and we've got another spike then they're gonna go back to phase two but i'm like isn't think about like even just think about 
the first of all economic toll that would take imagine it's like people are getting their jobs back and then it's like just kidding like you've got to go back into quarantine and like how do you like organize that and it's like you know people having a job one second not having a job the next second second of all even just think about like the emotional and psychological toll that that's going to take for people getting their freedom back and then having to go right back into quarantine like you know that's i feel like it'd be even worse to be in that situation and people are going to be even more restless and frustrated if they're constantly and I feel like even just you know this mistrust of government and things like that if if the rules are constantly changing I think all of that's only going to get worse right and it, it's just gonna I think it's just gonna be like caused for absolute chaos yeah because, I want to ask you one more question related uh, to that before we pivot um just because we've been talking about this for like 40 minutes yeah. um it, which is actually about Obama, which I don't know if you heard. I like because I wanted to get the exact. Oh quote. yeah, I, I was gonna. You, I was gonna ask. Oh, you, you wanted to bring too. this up too. Uh-huh. Oh, why don't yeah. you ask me? You don't ask me okay. that question. I always say that. So. Yeah. Go ahead. So, um, three, I think, uh, of the uh, Obama alumni, you know, the people who uh, work for the Obama campaign and the Obama White House, White House. Yeah. Uh, who meet with President Obama every so often privately have confirmed a report that in one of those meetings, uh, the the former president uh, went off on, uh, and by went off in the Obama sense, be, meaning he said something scathing and critical. Um, <laughs> uh, on the coronavirus response, um that uh he he called it a an absolute chaotic disaster so um what do you think of this um the que- i guess the question i want to ask you is do you think obama said this with the intent of it leaking i mean what other intent is there Right, I guess. <laughs> At this point. Like honestly, because that is sort like of the only is... way he communicates with us nowadays is right. through, well, that's... <laughs> through leaks of converse of private conversations he's had. I mean, that's the thing with like we've you know, the because the precedent of former presidents is like right. they kind of leave the political arena because like being too candid would sort of jeopardize democratic process you know through influence and yeah so it would be like an overstep and so like the only way he can really comment is like indirectly so yeah I mean I don't think you say something I think at this point even just like I don't even if you're just Susie down the street and you're saying something I feel like there's just nothing that's like totally private anymore because of how easily we can document things and like I feel like if you say it you assume others will hear it (laughs) so you know especially if you're like you know a former president so yeah I'm sure he did um you know he might have leaked it himself you know I it's I I don't know I doubt that well, like, meaning, like, he, like, knew about the leaking. Um, mm-hmm. But, yeah, like, I don't, 
I definitely feel like that's like his way of like it's like an alien like we're going back to this like you know commute sending their little signals or whatever um yeah like I mean it's interesting and I was thinking about like you know how does that like play into because a lot of people are talking about um the presidential election which I feel like nobody's thinking about it's just kind of it's so weird that we're because normally right now I would be gearing up, we'd be like right close to the convention, right? It's like and like well, all of that is just like yeah. kind of all the winds kind of been taken out of those sails a little bit, and um, so I like I because I think Obama is such an influential figure, and people have this weird like. Like, he's, like, he can do no wrong. It's almost like Beyonce, like, in politics, where it's, like, he can do no wrong. Everybody's obsessed with him. Like How many in, people are like that nowadays? Not many. That's what I'm saying. Like, there's only a couple people who no, I mean, can, how, like, ma- how no many wrong. people see Obama as, do, as can do no wrong? Oh, I honestly think it's a lot. Because I see so many people just, like, on Instagram, people I follow, just, like, normal, everyday people who are, like, bring the Obamas back. And, like, I want, you know, um, or, like, I want Michelle Obama to be uh, Joe Biden's running mate. Or, you know, like, I miss, like, the good old days with the, like, they'll post something of the Obamas and, like, it's the good old days. And, like, I'm serious. I never well, see. Well, yeah, I, I think that's that's definitely a, a through line. Um yeah. Okay. So I guess I see what you're saying. Yeah. Do you um, see? Yeah. It's like that that the stuff, like, the people. the people there's a there's a large contingent of people who are uh, nostalgic about not having had to pay attention to politics because it was just sort of you know you could look at the news every couple of weeks and be fine. Yeah. Which I mean <laughs> I drives me crazy because well you know I don't like Michelle Obama but um because which I don't even want to get into that but like a lot of these policies that people claim that they hate that Trump is into are just things that he continued that President Obama started I think one of the best examples is the uh border policy um you know that was well even that 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 was that was President Obama's policy as a concession in order to get DACA. Um, that he made this deal with the devil no, in order to increase was, law enforcement. But his, but his, like their strategy in, was deterrence. That's like that's like an underlying principle of their strategy for border security in the obama administration right because they 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 greatly ramp they ramped up border security as a concession okay, but regardless of the concessions or whatever i'm just saying when he did it nobody it's like crickets you know nobody cares but then when trump does continues it it's like you know this huge uproar i just feel like right because this, trump's not making a concession in order to accomplish something he's just enacting a cruel agenda for the sake of the cruelty you're following the same okay but i'm just i'm just saying there's that's not the only example that was just one but like i feel like there's this certain okay hypocrisy. try me on the others let's go oh my god okay <laughs> so <laughs> no but we've talked about this like there's this, you know, just this, I feel like there's people just love President Obama for whatever reason, like, which is fine, I guess. But I do think he's very influential. The point I'm trying to make is I do think he's very influential because of that. And I think 
you know, like even, you know, everybody was so curious as to when he was going to endorse Joe Biden. You know, I've never seen any of that kind of thing for a former president. Like, I, I don't ever remember people being like obsessed with an endorsement like that. And well, I think I think um, Bill Clinton had a similar reputation during the Bush years, um, by and large. Okay, can like you, we miss uh, Bill. Um, <clears throat> granted, both of us are too young to remember vividly, but I think I, I generally got that impression about Bill Clinton that it was fairly similar to how Obama is now. Okay, can let me finish up. Okay. Um, so I'm gonna like is yeah, I think he said it for a reason because I was like the full quote from it um, is because he said like the election's coming up on every level it is so important because we're going to be battle what we're going to be battling is not just a particular individual or party or fighting against is these long-term trends in which being selfish tribal divided and seeing others as the enemy has become the stronger impulse in American life which Obama has this thing about like tribalism that he talks about a lot but the that kind of plays into, but I, I do think like that's like his goal is to influence. I think anything he says, it's like, it's to try to influence the election and to like hopefully swing it in the other direction. I think that that's probably his, uh, his goal at this point with any of these comments. And like, I mean, and I think it could work. Like, I think the more you kind of hear from Obama and, criticizing Trump's response, I think that only works in Joe Biden's favor. So I think he could be a powerful tool, almost of propaganda in the other direction in as far as like influencing, um, influencing, you know, I think morale, mindset, even getting people to the polls. Sure. Which is going to be a challenge. So, yeah, I definitely think in, like, yeah, I think he said it for a reason. And, like, I do think he expected people to hear it. <laughs> so, I, I think everything he does is pretty strategic. Okay. Yeah. I, I, I'm, I'm inclined to agree. I might take the softer stance, which is, like, it's not necessarily calculated, but he knows that when he says stuff, it's going to go around. That's, it's of not course. necessarily a, a calculated, this is the pull quote that I want to appear in the news. It's more, he says things with the knowledge that people, that if it's juicy enough, people are going to uh, propagate it. And that he, he knows yeah. that he has no control over that. No, yeah, I don't disagree. I don't necessarily mean like calculate in a bad way, but just like, I think, I think well, he calculate isn't others. necessarily bad. It's, but no, I, it's, I, it's, I it's very opposite of Trump. I don't think that Obama so. is, like, working from the shadows in the way <laughs> that I think a lot of people have perceived him, uh, especially because of that one phone call he made to Pete Buttigieg uh, <laughs> before Super Tuesday. Um, I think I'm sh yeah. I'm think he's definitely operating uh, in order to... Uh, in what he thinks is the best interest of the party. Uh, but I don't think he's a puppet master. So it seems like this is like becoming her issue. And um, so uh, you know, she did this 45 minute sit down with Tara and um, 
it was a really good interview. I mean, I like Megyn Kelly. I think mm-hmm. all the people who hate her just don't like that she's a conservative, which she's not even, she's actually like an independent, technically. But Lots of conservatives are actually an independent. I'm actually an independent. It's the so most popular you. grift thank among you. conservatives. Thank you. Anyway, so I think they don't like her. She Listen, she's smart. She knows what she's doing. Like, they don't like her because of her views, not because she is a very good journalist. Um, so, um, yeah, and I wanted to talk to you about it. I, you did watch it, right? This was like your homework yes. last night. Okay. Yes. So I just found it fascinating, which I didn't even think I was going to find it that interesting. Well, I never like heard her talk or like seen her. I don't know if this was the only interview she did. Um, it may well have been. I think this is her that. first major camera interview. Yeah, which that explains something, though, because I'm like, okay, she wants to have a very controlled image, mm-hmm. um, which is, you know. No, I don't um, know about that. No? Okay. Well, whatever. So I, I think that, like, we, we have to, in, in evaluating this, you have to separate the things that are very typical for a person who's gone through something like this, especially with a famous person. Things that are very typical for a person to do and things that are actually sources of uh confusion or um <clears throat> whatnot um i think that being reluctant to go on camera to... is yeah. is not that doesn't isn't a red flag to me okay well anyway um so <clears throat> i found it interesting um well one of the things i found it just because like when it actually kind of struck me a little bit, like when she was talking, like talking about like what exactly happened and reliving the incident. Like, I don't know how to explain this to you other than like, cause I know this, which I didn't know if I was going to, I didn't think I was going to say this on the podcast, but I don't know how to like say it without saying it basically. Mm-hmm. So like, cause I feel like there's a couple of instances of trauma where if I talk about it, like I have some of the same like visceral reactions. I don't know how to explain it other than that. I don't know if you like notice that it, it's hard to explain, but if you watch, like, I don't know, you just like your voice kind of catches in your throat mm. and like, I, do you know what I'm talking? Like, it's just this, I don't know how to explain it. It's just yeah. like, and like, I saw that and that kind of stunned me a little bit just because like, I know, like, I was like, huh, it's very hard to fake that. It's very, very hard to fake that. Mm-hmm. Uh, unless you're like an amazing actor. Cause there's just certain subtleties it's not even like crying or it's just these certain like subtleties you can see where it's like it's just like you have to access this like different part of yourself and it's Mm. like this kind of shift and it's hard to explain even in words but it's very hard to fake unless she could be the most amazing actress I mean like I don't know you know like I don't know if she's been rehearsing this for three years you know like I who knows but um and you know there's I just, that's kind of stunned me and almost made me go like, how am I going to like almost not believe this seeing this? Mm-hmm. And then, but then I found it curious that like she had such a, a reaction to that. But then in the beginning, they kind of glossed over it. But I don't know if you, she, I don't think her name is actually Tara Reed or her name wasn't because well, she changed it. Changed um, it. Yeah. yeah. Because of some, she was in like a, 
Um, her ex-husband who was abusive. Which I don't know if this is the same ex-husband as that is that other one, but yeah. First, so, I can tell she only has one ex-husband. Okay, so I guess it is the same. Okay, so and so she had like a name and social security number change. So, but she didn't seem like at all phased talking about that. So I thought that was interesting, seeing like, mm. okay, so like this situation, which and sometimes it's trauma works in weird ways, and like that can be a thing but i just thought that was a little interesting um right and you know and obviously like you know there's a lot of holes and and factual inconsistencies which is why this which is why people are not just jumping on the bandwagon because if you actually look into you know all of the claims like you know her story isn't consistent you know the story she told last year is different than the story now even like you said those documents that they did find from the Senate archives, they do detail a sexual harassment problem in the Biden office, but they don't they don't um, mention Biden as being the harasser. Specifically. Well, I don't think those were documents from the Senate archives. I think those were court documents from. Oh, I'm sorry. A, you're right. They're not from a case that her ex-husband was involved in. Yeah. Where there's just an offhand yes. mention of a harassment issue in the office. Yes, sorry, I you're right. So yes, it was from this testimony from her divorce of the ex-husband. So which if we're saying the ex-husband is incredible, I don't know how we're gonna like take that into account really, but um yeah. Well, so oops, yeah. But I say he yeah, so they didn't anyway, but he, he didn't say it was Biden and um it was harassment that they mentioned. Right. So, and like, and the people she told the story to, um, like that's also kind of changed and like, there's just no, um, and nobody can remember any of this who has ever worked in the Biden office at that time. And, you know, so it's like, there's not, and they can't find any of these files. Well, and it is weird that cause she does have some, well, she's also kind of, cause like she at one point said, like, I think she has, cause she has like records a lot of records from her time working there, but somehow she doesn't have the record of her filing this complaint. And it's like, isn't it a little weird that like she has every other record, but like not this one. But then in the interview, she's like, I actually didn't save much from that time. But at, at another point she said she did save things. So, mm -hmm. you know, there's just like, it's a little unclear. And, and obviously, you know, we've talked about motive even on this podcast with like um, her sort of being like a Russian asset. And well, okay. What? Yeah, I don't well, know if, if that's. I think that that's like. Or sure. Whatever you want to call it. Sure. In okay. 2018, she seems to have gone through a political transformation from mainstream Democrat to more uh, having a harder, um, you know, critical of U.S. foreign policy edge, pro-Putin edge, etc. Um, yeah, and she. Were you going to say something? Um, yeah, some of this is stuff that we discussed uh, either the last episode or the episode before. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it was the episode before. Um, yeah, like, it's, it's, it is a very, like, complicated story, actually, because right. of just all of these factual inconsistencies and context and, and stuff. And also that at, at the beginning, uh, uh, it seems like there were a lot of ethical breaches by the intercept staff the which was the the publication that broke the story that um i think it's katie hill and nate robinson yes. 
Um, and apparently Nate Robinson called up her brother to remind him to mention, oh, no. to like call back the per- the people who interviewed him to m- to mention more strongly um, the uh, rape allegation. Um, and so that's another whole dimension. The where witness tampering. Those, basically. well, yeah. So those those people in yeah. particular, I think, bear a lot of responsibility for the confusion that either they've they've drummed up this false allegation, which is abhorrent, or they've tampered with a case uh, in and sort of robbed this woman of a chance at. Uh, vindication, which is also abhorrent. But see, um, this is the problem with what I'm saying. With when, when you're just doing a case by like a civil trial, meaning journalists are, it's a journalism, right? Court it's of an investigative piece, exactly. Versus, it's a a legal case. Is that this is what happens because journalists don't know how to do all these different. Um, well, there, there are, there are ethics. journalistic ethics. It's just that Robinson and Hill sort of straddle the line between journalist and pundit, and they. I know, but I'm saying there's not a lot they, of consequence. They like, reached it's, those it's ethics. Different. Yeah, right, there are no but it's much different if you're because literally, if this happens in a trial, your trial will just get thrown out, and they'll like you basically can't move forward because right, you, you can lose your, your the evidence, to right? Law. Exactly. That's what I'm saying. I'm just saying the stakes are a little bit higher, and like this is why things like that don't happen as often in a legal case because there's like much higher stakes. So, um, versus like these journalists can kind of just be like, sorry, and just kind of like ride off into the sunset, and because no one, very few people are going to remember their names anyway. Exactly. So that's that's part of I think this whole thing where it's gotten so complex. And I mean, this is, I think the, and like, I think one of the bigger things I'm like taking away as a question is like, okay. Cause I think the people who are like, you're Democrats are being hypocritical. Their perspective is that you said, meaning like Democrats and like liberal people and all the me too people and every, everyone in that circle, you said that we should believe like all women all the time, no matter what like point blank and now you're taking that back and saying well if there's factual inconsistencies and witness tampering and you know bad reporting and um you know not any actual like evidence and you know if 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 there's these sort of gray areas maybe we should think twice right and right and i think i'm saying let me hold on. Let me yeah, finish yeah. this point, which yeah. is so they're saying maybe we should think twice. And I think the people on the other side are exploiting that opportunity because they're saying, hold yeah. on. Yesterday, you were saying we should believe everyone all the time, no matter what. And now you're changing that because it's your guy who's in the hot seat with this like case that is very gray area. So how you know, it, it that's what is happening. And that's where it's, that is the point that is going to is and is going to continue to be exploited which is that one day you said this and now you're changing your mind because 
it's Joe Biden who's in this position. And I don't disagree that I do think that's what's happening. I think people are real. And I think there's got to be some decision made on some level, whether even if it's just informal and cultural, where it's like, how are we going to treat these kind of situations? Are we just going to continue to put a blanket like me too over everything and say like we believe someone no matter what and it doesn't matter what you know the different sort of pieces of evidence say and you know it we just believe people or are we going to say well you know we're going to err on the side of believing but we can't like fully corroborate unless there's you know x y and z pieces of evidence i think that that's the bigger thing of like how are we going to solve because i do think that's a conundrum and i think that's why the conundrum is happening is because of that because i do think there's people who were yesterday they were on this side of believe all women and now they've changed their mind because they're seeing that like maybe that's not always maybe it's not a black and white issue all the time i I think you're right that there are there are people who have discovered nuance on this issue, and there are people who held nuanced views but were not very loud about them, who are suddenly louder about the nuance on this issue. Um, I I do think that, and it's it is, and that's why it's uncomfortable is that, um, you know, the slogan doesn't match the more complicated reality. Now, one part of the reality is that in the private sphere, false allegations are vanishingly rare. Uh, that they're they're, they're, they're same... like in-person voting fraud. They're... Do you want to hear from a trained sexual violence advocate? Um, <laughs> so false allegations, like the rate of false allegations is somewhere between... Um, I believe it's two and eight percent of all cases, which is the same, by the way, it's exactly the same rate um, of falsifiability as any other crime. So like Mm -hmm. robberies or murders or like any other crime where you could like falsely report it, it's the exact same rate of um, falsification. So. But then there's yeah. also this this new phenomenon. Well, not I don't know if it's a new phenomenon, but there's a phenomenon in the political sphere of essentially rat fucking that people will. Uh, you know, we saw um, on the left, Michael Avenatti seemed to be doing this a lot. Uh, did he end up in prison, or he's discredited? I don't remember if he's criminally discredited. Um, uh, the the drumming up of allegations um, by political operatives, uh, which does seem to be a phenomenon. And yeah. so in the political sphere, we're having to navigate this reality where, you know, it's it's something like give everyone a chance to be heard, take every claim seriously, investigate every claim, seek out corroboration for every claim, all of these things that I think are being done for Reed. And that's why I'm never going to, I'm never going to take a a hard, this did not happen stance 
because that's nearly impossible to prove. Um, and I do feel there's a responsibility to be open to the possibility to, un to know that people are not always uh, as, as they seem that just because someone seems personable and kind and empathetic doesn't mean that they're not capable of something really dark and evil. Um, but uh, I'm, I'm definitely not at a point where the uh, evidence is in any way convincing to me. Yeah. Did you did you hear the part of the interview about her wearing crotchless panties? Yeah, that's odd to me. Okay. But yeah, isn't that weird? Like that's the one thing where I'm like, huh? It seems like really like you know convenient. Like, right. and actually, the one other thing I wanted to ask you about this is, do you think this could just be a consensual thing that was gone wrong? Because listening to the story, I was like, I almost feel like he thought. Like, if we're just, just going by what she said, like, it almost seems like he was hitting on her and thought she was into him through some, you know, other source, which, I mean, that happens. Like, you know, people like, oh, this girl's into you, right, whatever. Right, but, but like the, that. Best, the best practice let me in finish? that case. Okay. Let me finish. Okay, I'm just saying, <laughs> let's just assume, okay, let's just say, it just sounds like, it didn't sound like. Because then, you know, when he was, like, I mean, he seemed, I guess, like, you know, and she said she was struck by him then saying, like, you're nothing to me or whatever. But he, he his ego just could have been bruised. Like, I don't know. He did, like, back off, though. So I'm almost wondering if, you know, yes, he would have had an affair or whatever. But I, m most married people have an affair in their life. So it's, like, you're just calling this guy blue at this point. I know it's, like, it doesn't meet the fairy tale expectation. But I'm just trying. It's, like. It's a thing that happens, okay? So, like, that's the worst it would be. Do you think that that's possible? Because I just listening to the story, it kind of sounded like that to me. And um, I thought the crashless panty thing was weird. <laughs> yeah, I'm not going to... I, I don't want to so speculate on, like... Panties just, like... For fall. like you just right. don't as a girl I can tell you you're not just going wearing like crotchless panties just like on a Tuesday like I don't like to wear underwear well, really like at all she but, said like, she was she did say that but like I'm just saying it's, it's weird to like I've never done something like that like I like and I've right. like worn lingerie for people but I've never been like oh I'm gonna like go to this like work thing and then you know, have these crashless panties on or something. Like, because the whole thing is, like, you want, like, and crashless panties, it, they're not, like, the whole point of it is that it's not actually functional. It's, like, so it's purely, like, sexual, right? So it's, like, because some people really like lingerie and, like, really get off on that. So, you know, so, like, it's, but it's not really, like, underwear. Like, it's not serving any underwear function. So, mm. like... So you're only kind of wearing that for a specific reason versus like if you just don't wear underwear, it could be like a lot of times it's like comfort or whatever. But um, I just like so, something like that is just like so specific. So it's just that's what I think is like strange about it. It's not even like, oh, a thong or something. It's like 
crotchless underwear. Like, like you don't just wear that, like, just for fun. Like, there's a reason you're wearing it. Because it's not, like, comfortable or functional. Like, it doesn't make sense to wear. Yeah. That was a detail that jumped out at me as odd, but I don't know. Uh, yeah, she says that that was the detail that that the most s- sounded like getting a question you didn't expect. Yes. Saying something. Which, or she could have just made it up, I guess. Well, yeah. But, yeah. But I don't. Like- you don't know. Yeah, uh, it, it's. You're so uncomfortable. Sure. Yeah. Of course I am. Um. Okay. Yeah. Well. So basically, yeah, it, it's it's a it's a difficult situation because, or it's a difficult thing to talk about because, uh, there hasn't been, uh nuance in the past in the way that makes it easy to talk about this case right um yeah so gosh we've been going for over an hour and a half is there anything else on your list that you had that you want to talk about um i believe that's it for me that's it all right well i think we'll leave it off here I might divide this into two episodes, like a part one, part two. Mm. I don't know. But people like long podcasts also, so. I like long podcasts. Um, we could also yeah. try more aggressive editing. Yeah, which I do need to make an intro. But mm. th- uh, thanks, everybody, for listening. <laughs> um, if you like what you heard, make sure to rate us five stars on Apple Podcasts. And for anybody who gives and leaves a rating or review, I am offering a free social media consultation through Blank Buzz, where basically, and it's not like a gimmicky thing, like I'll basically just sit down, look at any um, social media profile of your choosing, and then basically give you some strategic recommendations for um, getting more exposure or like whatever. You can tell me like what your goals are with your page um, or how to get better engagement from your followers, how to create sales funnels, um, you know, kind of a bunch of different um, suggestions that can help you to monetize your pages. Um, so definitely make sure to leave a review. And no strings Aaron has been an online marketing specialist for at least half a decade longer, really. Right? Yeah, probably like seven or eight years, really. Yeah. Yeah. So she knows her stuff. <laughs> Thanks. And make sure to follow Blank Buzz on Twitter and Instagram at Blank Buzz. You can also check out our website um, at blankbuzz.com. I am Erin McKell. You can find me on Instagram at, at every little thing Aaron or at Aaron McKell on Twitter. Although I'm not a big tweeter, but uh, Wesley. Um, <laughs> yes. Uh, what am I going to plug? Um, uh, just Twitter? got the, yeah, my Twitter, uh, Indiana Walsh, uh, like the state and my last name and progress and poverty by Henry George um john brown 
Oh, never hurts to read up on him. And um, the Masters of the Universe coffee table book by uh, Emiliano Santalucia, which I've really enjoyed. All righty. Um, and with that, we will see you next week.